John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 587.LK0207, certificate number 44261, the Hilbert Hotel. You've probably stayed in a lot of hotels yes. in your career on the road as a troubadour. I have. That is the Hilbert Hotel, some swinger hotel uh, in Big Sur? Do you not have... I haven't been there yet. Do you not have Hilbert points <laughs> so you can get upgrades when you go to the Hilbert Hotel? <laughs> have you ever had the experience of showing up at a hotel desk and having the clerk tell you the hotel is full? Yes, I have. I have too. What, so what happened? What's your story? Well, it's happened multiple times. It's, uh, it's extremely frustrating. How does this happen? Uh, well, you know, when, when, we were, uh, when we were in the thick of the rock game, uh, By we, do you mean you and me? No, not you and me. You and I have never <laughs> been in the thick of the rock game. Yet. Uh, uh, when the long winters were on tour a lot, um, I was kind of a bad tour manager. The first crime was that I didn't hire an actual tour manager and took those jobs upon myself. You must have been the best tour manager in the band since you were the one doing it. No, I wasn't even the best tour manager you in the band. You were just power man. I was power man. <laughs> they would have all done a great job and you were like, no. They wouldn't have all done a good job, but, but at least one of them would have done a better job. But yeah, I often would say, and this, was, this is a personality flaw, I would say, I don't want to be tied to some hotel reservation because Man. we need to, that's right, because we need to stay flexible. That's how the establishment gets you. <laughs> and so we would play, our set would end at 1.30 a.m. We'd load out, we'd get paid, we'd get on the road about 2.30. I would insist that we stop at a diner on the outskirts of town and eat chicken fried steaks at about 3.15. And then we would drive, drive into the night. Until like somewhere off in the distance, the, sh the light would, because I wanted to get out of the town, you know, man, like I didn't want to stay there in the town. <laughs> right. Because that's where all the good experiences happen at roadside motels in the middle of nowhere. That's right. What could go wrong? And often we would pull into a place at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and I would tumble out. Everybody would be asleep already. Was there someone on duty actually? Oh yeah. There's always somebody at a, at a motel like that because, you know, it's like a trucker economy out there. Mm. And I'd roll in and say, hey, you know, we'd like... One two, room. <laughs> two, two, two rooms with two double beds. And every once in a while, you'd get one where I was like, sorry, man, it's all full. How about the experience, which I recently had, of having a reservation and getting to the hotel and having them say, yeah, we have your reservation, but we're full. That happened to me once in Buenos Aires. Oh, really? And I said, you cannot be full. You have my reservation. And they said, unfortunately, we are full. And I said, this is a paradox. <laughs> I want my room and they like called another hotel and someone from that hotel walked over and then walked me to that hotel, this which was a me. worse hotel. Yeah. How did you know? You hadn't seen your... Well, you can just tell by the, <laughs> by how dirty the lobby was. Uh, that happened to me in San Jose. Like I get there, but I get there late. Yeah. And I guess hotels overbook. A crime is, the, you're the, you're the criminal here, not the victim. Right. If I had just got there a little earlier, yeah. you know, they have... They made N plus three reservations because mm -hmm. their computer tells them three people don't show up. And on this night, only two people didn't show up. They thought they were free and clear. And then I appear. 
but they had little pre-printed things like here's our backup hotel. Right. And that's where you realize there's this vast shadowy world network of hotels that pretend to be business rivals or competitors. Right. But in fact, they're part of this cabal that is allied against you, the traveler. This used to happen with airlines that if they were overbooked or some reason your flight got canceled, they would immediately and with a friendly demeanor book you on their competitor. They can get you into the computer of their competitor. This happened to me recently. If you're nice to someone, you've, you, I'm sure you've had this happen. Yeah. You're always sweet talking ladies at counters. It's essential. You do this like 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. John's like, what should I do today? I'm going to go sweet talk a lady at a counter for most of the afternoon. I just drive around looking for somebody. <laughs> looking for I, counters. I look in the fronts of shops to see if, some, if there's someone just twirling a pencil and I'm like, I'm going to go sweet talk that person. Somebody with a, uh, some gum out of her mouth <laughs> twirling it around one finger. John's like, like bingo. I wonder if I can get a, an upgrade. <laughs> Let's go talk to her. But they can still get into each other's computers and you realize it's all a sham. Yeah. Like they totally could, can hook you up all the time. It's all, the world is one big hotel. This basically. is the problem with realizing that, that it's all a sham and that you can get hooked up because you can get addicted to the yeah, idea right. that you can get a hookup every time. <laughs> and sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes they just can't do anything. But I, I got into it one time with a United Airlines uh, manager at an airport because they'd canceled a flight because of, you know, some dumb thing. And then she tried to pretend that it was regular maintenance. And I was like, here's, here's the thing about regular maintenance. It has the word regularity right in the front. You should be able to know about it in advance. You don't like have a surprise regular maintenance. And she was like, sir, you know, she got into like formality voice. And uh, the end result was I do not fly United Airlines. Haven't since that event. That one time. Yeah. Five years. I have not. If someone is booking me to, you know, flying me somewhere, I insist that it not be United. I'll fly any other airline. I'll fly freaking Southwest. I would love to have United sponsor the podcast. John does not speak for the <laughs> Omnibus Project in this case. I will not accept your filthy lucre. Whichever airline writes the biggest checks. Even United that puts uh, old men in overhead compartments and pets in the landing gear. United breaks guitars. Go ahead. Google. They, they break guitars. Google United breaks guitars. Well, I'm picturing them dragging some nice Asian American grandpa down the aisle as he kicks. And you're like, that beautiful guitar. No, they, there are videos <clears throat> called United breaks guitars because United breaks guitars. That'd be a good name for a band, right? <laughs> I bet there is a band called United Breaks Guitars. I don't know. The Clash broke guitars and we like them. Why are we pro the Clash and anti the United? Well, because United's doing it in secrecy. United is doing it like in their strange, like paradoxical world of surprise regularity. There, uh, and there's no amazing photo of them doing it. No, that's the thing. When the Clash breaks guitars, like it ends up on album covers. People copy it for decades. Imagine if there's some photo of a United baggage worker just smashing a guitar. We would think they were kind of badass. We'd be like, hey, that's pretty cool. They break guitars. <laughs> that right there, I would fly United again if they had baggage handlers just out on the tarmac just, just like smashing guitars. Crash. What if it's your luggage? You're like, I almost don't care. It's so cool. There's another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the world of... Theoretical mathematics. Oh boy! The most famous, up. the most famous example of a full hotel. Someone arriving at a full hotel. In fact, not even in the world of theoretical mathematics. I'd say in in all fields, in, in all, all fields. of human endeavor and experience in our era, futurelings, the most important and canonical example of someone showing up at a full hotel is the thought experiment called the Hilbert Hotel, because it was dreamed up by German mathematician, groundbreaking German mathematician. David Hilbert. Today, David Hilbert is best known possibly for his uh, set of 23 problems, uh, 23 unsolved problems in mathematics that he uh, delivered in 1900. It was kind of a challenge. It was like, you know, here's what we need to do. And in fact, uh, it came true of his 23 problems. 10 of them have since been solved in the, in the succeeding century. I'm sure they're all 23 are solved in your time future listeners, but in our time, 10 have been solved. Seven have partially accepted solutions. There are a few where people are like, well, he, he didn't really make a good problem. They're like, that's the thing. You can come up with the right answer, but if your proof is bad, nobody accepts your solution. We're at such a high level here that the best mathematicians in the world will disagree about whether your proof is good or not. So who even knows, but there's still three or four that are still outstanding. In our day, the Riemann hypothesis has not been solved. And I know the future links are just laughing at this because mm -hmm. that's their, they, they get up every morning and solve the Riemann hypothesis sure, that's, that's how they're, on the back of their grocery list. That's how their little, uh, their wrist born, uh, computadors uh, are powered. Hilbert is also well known to me for the huge floppy hat he wears in his, uh, 
the portrait of him that's everywhere online. Oh, now we're that now we've arrived at something I can talk about. Finally. Yeah. He look kind of look he looks like the maybe the spinster governess in an EM Forrester novel or something. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe he just had an incredibly small head and it's a normal hat. It's hard to say. He looks like a desk lamp where his face is the little tiny light bulb sticking out from under this enormous hat. Well, I mean, that's the that's the big question of Pharrell, right? Is Pharrell a normal normal sized person who bought <laughs> who had a custom made giant hat, or is Pharrell just a cartoon ant? Literally, no one knows because no one's it's ever a normal seen him. hat. I think I think one of the nicest things about the Hilbert Hotel, or the, the or rather Hilbert online, is not the um, it's not the the image of him in a floppy hat, but it is the number the sheer number of hand-drawn explanations for the Hilbert Hotel paradox. People clearly try to explain this by pulling out a cocktail napkin and drawing an example on, you know, like you can just see like thousands of mathematicians around the world saying, no, 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 honey, here, let me get a, let me just get, give me a napkin. Give me a United Airlines napkin. And then they draw, they draw a diagram, which is not at all helpful in explaining to the layperson this paradox. Are you saying that um, this paradox is a bad fit for an audio only format where no, I, I, think, I cannot leave a cocktail napkin for the future? I think audio is the way to do it. I think oh. I think what I'm saying is drawing it on a cocktail napkin really explains nothing. Well, you cannot draw infinity on it. It, it would have to be a very large napkin. You cannot draw infinity on a cocktail napkin. That's a great song title. You also, I mean, and there's no photograph. You can't resort to a photograph of the Hilbert Hotel because spoilers, this is not a hotel that actually exists. And yet you can put a drawing of it. You can make a drawing of it and be so impressed by your drawing that you put it online. Hold on, honey. I got to scan this. <laughs> uh, the Hilbert Hotel is an interesting hotel because unlike any hotel you or I have stayed at, it has an infinite number of rooms. Right. And we're asked to envision a situation in which I guess it's high season at wherever the Hilbert Hotel is. Hilbert mm-hmm. does not relate. Sure. It could be in the mountains. It could be in the ocean. Uh, Unlikely that it's in the mountains. Because... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, now I'm interested. <laughs> Wait, it's not. I just, I just assumed Germans of that period only went two places, the mountains or the seashore. So Hilbert's hotel must be either in the mountains or in the seashore. I feel like it is a smaller subset of, uh, humanity that vacations in the mountains than that vacations at the seashore. I think you're right. So let's say it's at the seashore. Yeah. We are asked to imagine that it's such a busy day at this hotel that they are full. They have taken down the no on their no vacancy sign. Mm-hmm. A, a young John Roderick driving by in his van will be disappointed Aww. and wished he had not lingered over his chicken fried steak. <laughs> the Hilbert Hotel is full. I was counting on it. Because every one of its infinite number of rooms is full of, uh, of guests. So it has, it has an infinite number of guests that night. But let's say you do drive up. Uh, let's say it's just you. Right. You're a solo troubadour at this point. You've finished your steak and potatoes. You've chin wagged with the waitress at the counter by the thing full of pies. Mm-hmm. You go to the desk and you ask the desk manager of the hotel for a room. And she says, well, first of all, sir, I have to tell you that we're full. Mm-hmm. But luckily, <gasps> we can accommodate you. Mm-hmm. This is the paradox. How do you put John Roderick in a hotel in which every room is full? You could not do it in a standard hotel unless he bunked up with somebody else. This is an important principle, not of, um, of your sex life, but of mathematics. It's called the pigeonhole principle. Right. The pigeonhole principle says that if I have N things, and that's bigger than, than M, the number of boxes I have to put them in. Like when I walked into your house today, I saw a box that said on it, little boxes. Yes. You have, a, you have packed a box yes. full of little boxes. <laughs> It's, yes, that is the box in which I put the little boxes. Uh, what's in the little boxes? Some little boxes. Oh, the little boxes are full. Okay, so let's say... <clears throat> of little things. How many little boxes would you say are in that box? There are in the... It, well, so there's a second box called more little boxes. <laughs> you, the, you choose, John. In the first box of little boxes, uh, there are probably 22 boxes. You've got 22 boxes. And what's a sample item you might keep in little boxes? Let's see. Uh, one little box has concert tickets. Perfect. From dating back to the early eighties. What do you miss? The My Bloody Valentine um, ticket that's sitting on your on your kitchen table. It's on right the now. kitchen table because it has yet to migrate into its proper box. Okay. Let's say you have twenty two little boxes in the box and you have twenty three concert tickets. The pigeonhole principle says that by it's certain. Well, now wait you, a minute. I don't have twenty-two boxes each with one concert ticket in it. No, you wouldn't. But it, let's say you have twenty-two boxes and twenty-three concert tickets. All right. 
if you're going to destroy, if you're putting the bad illustration, if you're putting the tickets in the boxes, there's guaranteed to be a box that has more than one concert ticket in it. Oh, I see what you're saying. And that's true whether you have 23 or 2300. There's as long as it's bigger than the number of boxes, one box will have multiple things in it. Right. If you have three gloves, you're going to have two right gloves or two left gloves. That's a very apt statement of the pigeonhole principle. And it seems basic, but people will get it wrong. Like you'll tell people, hey, open your sock drawer. Let's say you have 10 black socks and 10 white socks. How many socks do you have to pull out to get a matching pair? And people will have to think. And, and sometimes they will say 11. Um, and it's true that you might have to pull out 11 to get two of your chosen color. But if all you want is a matching pair, you can do it in three. Three pulls and you will have a matching pair of socks. The first is white. The second, if it's not a match, it'll be black. And the third has to be a match at that point, right? Right. So the pigeonhole principle can be a little counterintuitive. So in a finite hotel at the Hilton, um, you would have to be doubling up. But at the Hilbert Hotel, the pigeonhole principle does not apply because what they can do to accommodate you is just go around to everybody's room, knock on the door, and have them all move from room N to room N plus one. The occupant of room one moves to room two, the occupant of room two moves to room three, and so on. They can do it simultaneously. This won't take long at all. <laughs> they can do it at the same time. And you immediately can move into room one. I've done this, <clears throat> by the way, stood there with my bags while someone else was roused was from a room and moved out. And it does not take zero time. Uh, how did you, how did you swing that? Cause you had points, you had Hilton points. No, no, I would never use that kind of balderdash to, to exit someone from, to exunt someone <laughs> from their rightfully, uh, Followed by a bear. The rightful room. And the bear is you. Uh, no, you know, I, I've i stayed in so many hotels that every single possible <laughs> experience. experience I've had at one, at one point or another. So it is an infinite set for you. Although, apparently not. Apparently you can always add one more experience to what seemed like an infinite set of hotel experiences. Isn't that a great thing about life? You think you've seen it all and then bam, blammo. Well, so, so as the layperson here, and I'm extending you the flattery of, of being the math person. In because this I analogy. read up on this last night right. and you read up on it this morning, you, which clearly makes me the guy with the little professor hat. You have a, you have a, a degree in computer science, which I do not. And as you know, you can often convince lay people that computer science is actually uh, like a discipline, <laughs> uh, actually like equivalent to a math. And you feel like this is a scam. It is. Yeah. Computer science is a trade. And it should be taught, you know, and I'm like a guy that puts hinges on doors <laughs> in like junior high. <laughs> I mean, computer science is a, is a discipline that, you know, the kids teach themselves. You don't need to go to college for it. It's an art, John. It's not a trade. I see. But let's let me ask, first of all, about the concept of infinity. Uh, where did, you don't buy that there is a hotel with an infinite number of rooms. Well, I, I mean, um, like I'm I'm happy to. Uh, to allow that there is an infinite number of rooms in this hotel. John, thank you. Yes. Now on, beha- on behalf of, <laughs> on behalf of set theory, are you thanking me? Yes. But I think when you, when, when you introduce the concept of infinity, um, why would, uh, how do you also have a concept of fullness? Like how does, I can, I can accept a hotel with an infinite number of rooms and to arrive there and there's another room but how can an infinite number of rooms, how can a hotel with an infinite number of rooms be full? It seems like that is just, that's not a paradox. That's just a well, if misstatement. There, if there were a finite number of guests, there would not be a huge number of guests. 3,000 people descend on this hotel. You can still squeeze them in. It's just that everybody has to move to room N plus 3,000. But you're saying it's an infinite number of guests. Yeah, it's an infinite number of guests. And I think most people can intuitively see uh, something that is actually a very hard mathematical result, which is a, there's a, or, you know, at least a mathematical result that's new to the 20th century, which is that there's a kind of one-to-one mapping between the number of guests at the hotel and the number of rooms. Imagine a hotel where the corridor goes on forever. We can all kind of see that. We've seen The Shining. Sure. Each of those rooms has a person in it. Okay, well, there we go. Infinite number of rooms, infinite number of guests, and there's some kind of correspondence between them so that it's the right kind of uh, infinite number. Is this the... Principle of bijection? Yeah. A bijection is just a way to pair the elements of sets such that there's a kind of one-to-one correspondence between them. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine this. You're walking, you know, you don't have to think of an infinite number of, an infinite sea of people out there and then an infinite number of rooms and be like, is that really going to match up? 
Just imagine yourself walking down this hallway forever and every room has a person in it. Bam. That's uh, that's your bijection. I, I feel like it's kind of intuitive, although you seem a little skeptical. Well, no, go on. I'm just, uh, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm not skeptical because I have uh, a hidden degree in higher math. I'm just speaking on behalf of the layperson. It is hidden. You have a you have a diploma in your kitchen that you have not yet opened. That's right. And it could be. It's Schrodinger's diploma. It could be theoretical math. You, we don't know. <laughs> uh, where the Hilbert Hotel actually gets interesting is what happens if an infinite number of guests shows up. So if you if the long winters show up, how many people are you touring with? Four people. Five. Well, sometimes eight, nine, including dancers. Including the polyphonic spree. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got your whole color guard. Right. You've got the JB horns. Right. You've got your string section. I've got the tour manager that I disempower. <laughs> All he does is, is uh, follow me around holding my coat. He's watching you. He's like kind of shadowing you for the day to yeah. see how to be a bad tour manager. Yeah, right. He's an unpaid intern. So your entourage of 30 people show up. That's easy. Everybody just moves down 30 rooms. You know, it's clear. It's obvious that the Hilbert Hotel can accommodate, even when it's full, can accommodate a finite number of people. What's interesting is that the Hilbert Hotel, and this is where your mind kind of breaks, can accommodate an infinite number of people showing up as well. Like, let's say your band entourage is so big that your bus fills up and it's got an infinite number of people in it. You, you are the polyphonic spree mm -hmm, at this point. Mm -hmm. The hotel can still accommodate you. And it's pretty easy to show. Like what if instead of everybody moving down one door or four doors, everybody just walks out of their room, looks at the number at the door, doubles it, and walks into that one. Wow. <clears throat> so the guy in room one goes into room two. The guy in room two goes into room four. You know, the closer you are to the lobby, there are some advantages. I mean, not just that the ice machine is right there, but also you have a much shorter walk. Sure. The guy in room 60,000, Rasta Rock room 120,000 is not stoked. Unless room 120,000 is across the <laughs> right. hall, <laughs> right? I mean, that often happens. You wander around, you're like, where's room 11? And it's like, oh, it was here all along. Yeah. You, what you're actually going to have is a hotel where all the even number rooms are full. And all the odd number rooms are empty. There it is. And a moment's thought will reveal there's an infinite number of odd numbers as well. And if it's one of the hotels you're talking about where it's like even on one side, odd on the other, then there's a whole side of the hotel that goes on forever and is empty for everyone. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Now, I don't want to jump ahead, although maybe I do. But this is one of the things that's always been very interesting about set theory to me that, uh, or uh, infinite, you know, infinite sets, right? Mm -hmm. that, that the set of odd numbers, an infinite set of odd numbers, is equivalent to the set of whole numbers. You'd think it wouldn't be, right? Right, because odd numbers are a subset. It should, it should be half as many. Right, a subset of whole numbers, and yet they are, they have, they're equally infinite. Right. We have a tendency to think of infinity as a number. And I think this starts out on the playground as kids, you know. You'll it's a countable number. Even though you can't count it, you could continue to go through the process of counting. Yeah, it. We, we think of it as, as if it's the last number. Right. Eventually you get to something big and then there's the final number and it's a little eight on its side. Because kids will treat infinity like that. It'll be like, oh yeah, well, you kissed Susan three times. Oh, well, you kissed Susan 10 times. And then some guy will be like, oh, you kissed Susan infinity times. Well, and then the really smart kid will say infinity plus one time. <laughs> oh no. And that's, so infinity plus one is the problem. That's imagining that infinity is a number you can add one to. Right. And it's not, it's just a symbol, a, a general symbol for endlessness, for something without a bound. Um, but because we grew up thinking of, and you know, math classes don't help. You start to do calculus and you see infinity kind of be used as a number. A, profe just, a professor will put, et cetera. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> like it, it just means, you know, and it keeps going, you yeah. know, like, uh, you have to take a limit. What happens to this function as, as the numbers you are plugging into it get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the professor, instead of putting in zero, will say X goes to infinity and you'll get the idea. Oh, infinity is a number just like zero or one or anything else he could have put in there. So if we're and not, that's, that's not true. If, if, if infinity isn't a number, if you can't perform these super tasks of adding numbers to the end of infinity, then what is infinity? Well, it's a general... An, inf an infinite set of numbers. What does it look like headed out into, into the dusky uh, horizon, into the, the friscolating dusk light? <laughs> <laughs> it could be getting bigger and bigger. It could mm -hmm. be getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. There's a shape called uh, Gabriel's horn. This is not essentially relevant to Hilbert's hotel. Is this a biblical reference? It's also called Torricelli's trumpet if you're an atheist. Oh, okay. If you're a believer, it's Gabriel's horn and he will sound it on the last day. I see. If you're a non-believer, it's Torricelli's trumpet and some Italian who invented the barometer uh, drew it up one day. Do the mathematicians in the cafeterias like self-segregate according to whether or not they they have religion? Yes, but the, the, the religion table is always empty <laughs> among mathematicians. <laughs> no, there are like a couple of those guys. You know, there are some pretty famous... Uh, uh, mathematicians that are also... Oh, like the dead ones. Yeah. Well, no, even now that are that somehow have made some accommodation between being creationist and also being like working in high math. Well, an interesting thing about infinity I, is... We should do a show on those guys. Christian mathematicians. <laughs> and we should give their addresses. <laughs> do you smell burned toast or am I having a stroke? No, we are both having the same stroke, I guess. Whatever's happening is stimulating the same olfactory nerve. Okay, good. So, someone has burned toast in the bunker. Uh, it's interesting that you mention God because, uh, you know, an essential part of uh, element of believing in God to a believer is that generally he's transcendental. He's infinite. Depends on the God, but yes. Right. I'll, 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 Zeus, I'll... for example, not infinite. No, right. There are lots and lots of religions where the gods are... He can turn into are, like eight things. Yeah, gods are, meh, temporal. Like o Odin doesn't know everything, has to go um, hang on a tree for a while to, to know everything. Odin's got his limits. So The so Judeo-Christian Judeo God, though, is, gods. He's, he, he, he's infinite. Thank you, by the way, for standing up for... Zoroastrianism? For, for, for pagan gods, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always going to be somebody on the internet that's like, not my God. Well, plus in the future, like, if everybody worships Vishnu, like, they're going to have notes. Well, Cthulhu. Or Cthulhu. Yeah, if Cthulhu's <laughs> come back. Imagine a non-tentacled infinite god, future listeners. Right. Uh, you, know, he, you know, he's everywhere. He fills all of space. His, his attributes are infinite. And there is no, within theology, there's no god plus one. Exactly. Uh, getting back to the instrument that will herald his return, Gabriel's horn. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a fairly simple mathematical function that looks like a big horn opening at one end and stopping. So it's got the, the bell. What do you call the opening yeah. of a trumpet? The yeah. bell of a trumpet. This is from your days touring with the JB horns, you mm -hmm. remember. Mm -hmm. But then it just... I, I, if they missed their cue, they each find $50 <laughs> each time. By you. Yeah, that's the right. JR horns. Ha! <laughs> Would you do the thing with the cape? Ow! <laughs> uh, Gabriel's horn has a bell on one end, but then it kind of curves away and gets narrower and narrower and narrower. It never stops, but it just it gets infinitely smaller as it moves along. And the interesting thing about this function, a simple math function, is you can prove that this shape has infinite surface area, but finite volume. You could fill Gabriel's horn with paint, and it would not be enough to paint the surface uh -huh. of the horn at finite thickness. I see. Um, so Why would know, you want to prove this? Well, what if you wanted to paint your trumpet? And, it, and it's infinite. Oh, you know, that's a euphemism. What have you heard? <laughs> certain subsets of my culture. Just painting my own yeah, trumpet here. There's not enough paint to paint this trumpet. You can't picture infinity. I mean, that's that's kind of the difficulty with it. You know, when, when philosophers have thought experiments, it'll be like a, a bird flies across the universe and then he comes back every thousands of years and scrapes his beak against a mountain 10 miles high and then he flies off again. And then he comes back and scrapes it again. And when he gets, you know, and at the end of a, you know, blah, 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 the mountain will eventually be worn down by the be scraping. And that, my friends, is just a second of eternity. Yeah, that's a built to spill lyric too. Oh, is that right? Yeah, the, it's Randy Describes Eternity is the song. Oh, right, Randy Describes <laughs> Eternity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, is it a very long built to spill song, right? It's on... Uh, are there short built to spill songs? <laughs> there are probably a lot of listeners who aren't as as 
steeped in the in their Idaho in, rock in the like '90s indie rock from Idaho as we are. Here's the built to spill version. Every thousand years, this metal sphere, ten times the size of Jupiter, floats just a few yards past the Earth. This song doesn't rhyme, but neither doesn't does, have to. Neither does America by Paul Simon. This is indie rock. You climb on your roof and take a swipe at it with a single feather. A feather, even. <laughs> Built to Spill has thought of something even less offensive than a beak. Genius. Hit it once every thousand years until you've worn it down to the size of a pea. Yeah, I'd say that's a long time. But here's the kicker from, from Built to Spill. Let's go. From Randy. But it's only half a blink in the place you're going to be. Built to Spill is Christian rock, apparently. They're oh. talking about the infinities of heaven. Yeah. And, and worshiping God forever. Yeah, but, on that, throne. but that, sounds like, uh, that sounds like a version of hell. I mean, I guess not. The requirements are pretty small. Every thousand years, you have to climb up on top of your car and hit this ball <laughs> one time with a feather. Like, uh, like the rest of the time is yours. Yeah, I could do that. Just lie in bed like Proust, <laughs> eating croissants and, and taking opium. Yeah. And then like your phone alarm goes off and you're like, what? When did I set this? Oh, right. A thousand years there's has a, gone there's by. There's a metal sphere the size of Jupiter. I, I should say to the listeners that you showed up at the house today and the and the, really the first thing you said was that you just read that Proust woke up every morning, took opium first thing, then had coffee and croissants and then stayed in bed until dinner. Till dinner. And I can't get the, I can't get the image out of my head because I, Squad feel like, goals. I feel like I am not living my best life. That's like, I mean, to take opium first thing in the morning. I can't even get up and read first thing in the morning because I feel lazy. I'm yeah. like, uh, the, you know, the world calls. I can't finish my book. But Proust, no such problem. Well, you could you could do whatever you want. There's a famous, uh, I think there's a uh, there's a Neil Gaiman Terry Pratchett a book called Good Omens, where their vision of inf trying to get this vision of a very large quantity of time to try to get it to approach infinity. They say that as the bird does this beak scraping thing, it finally wears down the mountain, and that whole time, you have not yet finished watching the sound of music, mm. and that's how you can picture the agonies of, oh. of infinity or eternity. <laughs> Have you ever tried to fold a piece of paper more than seven times? Uh, yeah. Uh, famously, it can't be done. I was doing this with my kids the other day. Although, do you know the story? There's, maybe, we should, maybe this should be an entry in the omnibus. There's some girl who, with very long pieces of tissue paper, found kind of a new topological way to get up to eight or nine. Really? Yeah. The, the, the key is to have a very long paper. So I guess all these scientists who were like, you can't fold a piece of paper more than seven times, they all had bidets or something because right. they, they never unrolled their Charmin and, and tried it out. Oh. But does a really long paper, is that really a piece of paper? It's still, it's still a paper, isn't it? I guess so. I mean, when I heard piece of paper, I thought, yeah, any finite thin sheet is what counts here. And I guess she said, yeah, except, except toilet paper. She, she took the original draft of Jack Kerouac's On the Road and started and unrolled it all the way. Are you bothered by the length or the texture? Do you think it folds too easily because it's quilted? No, well, I just want to make sure that it isn't like partitioned. That, that oh, it's not like, because a roll of toilet paper, I would not consider one piece of paper. I oh. would consider it, you know. Because it has the little dotted things? Because it has the little dotted I, Imagine, if you will, Hilbert's toilet paper <laughs> has no dotted separations. You can unroll it forever. Now that would be amazing. Wow. That's what you want. Imagine having your house toilet papered by that. By Hilbert. David Hilbert. You'd never get it down. He wasn't a very handy guy. Uh, there's an even more, so we can fit um, an infinite number of people into an infinite number of rooms, even if they're full, by right. having everybody move to, to 2N, basically. But then we can bring another infinite number of people, and the hotel can continue to accommodate them Yes, if everyone just moves down one room. And that's, as you said, the proof that uh, the odd number of, the odd counting numbers, the odd natural numbers, and the odd and even natural numbers, one seems to be twice the size of the other, but in fact, they are, in some sense, the same order, the same size, the same cardinality. No one is getting any sleep at all in this hotel, by the way. One thing you have to say about Hilbert's Hotel is it's a lousy hotel. Yeah. Like every time a guest shows up, um, they can't just be like, okay, sixth floor, here's your card, the Wi-Fi passwords and the thing. Breakfast is at nine. Every, literally everyone in the hotel has to move. Well, on the 60,000th time I was asked to move, uh, leave my room and move to the next room. Are you saying you... You live in this hotel infinitely as well? Well, it's, no. It's I like mean, this Coco seems, Chanel? This seems to all be happening on the same night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> people keep showing up. It would be like, I, you know what, honey? And I would pack the kids and we'd get in the car and we'd go to another hotel. What hotel would you say is a worse hotel from a hospitality standpoint? The Hilbert Hotel or the Hotel California? Oh, well, it depends. I mean, 
you know, they say you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave the Hotel California. But that's a pretty bad hotel, I would say. That's, well, that's its own kind of infinity. They have not really made the case that leaving the Hotel California is anything I would want to do. Sure, maybe, there's, there's champagne on ice. Yeah, maybe I, that's where I want to be. I mean, apparently there is some kind of, uh, in the master's chamber, we, what? Gathered for, Gather the, feast. for the feast. We, oh, there's, there's a feast. We stabbed so it nice. with the steely knives, but we couldn't kill the beast. Oh, maybe it's not such a great feast. Who knows? What I mean, what if the beast is like... Well, it's it not could, like the, you think there's a, like it's a cute beast, like it's a koala? What? what a, you're still stabbing it with a knife. Nobody wants that at the hotel. They, it doesn't say you're stabbing it. It says, it says they stab it, right? Oh, yeah. They, or, or is it we stab it? In the it? master's chamber. Maybe for the feast. It, it makes a big difference if it's we or they. Let's see what pronoun yeah. that the people at the Hotel California prefer. Like it could be, it could be some like vampire gerbil. Okay, we are all prisoners here, yeah. but in the master's chamber, they gathered for the feast. There it is. But I assume they are the guests. I think the, I think the quote ends, we're all, she says we're all prisoners here of our own device. And then in the master's chamber, these people, the guests who are having this conversation, they gather for the feast. Uh, no, not, you, you don't buy it? I'm not sure. I feel like if you can check out anytime, go down and check out, but then you then you can never leave or rather don't have to leave. I've done that. I've checked out, but I've just sat in the lobby because the Wi-Fi is free. I've checked out and then gone back to my room. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Stayed there well, it, it, at, in the Hotel California for an eternity. Uh, for most hotels, you only get a couple hours and then housekeeping figures it out. Unless you go down and charm the, the gal at the desk and say, can we get a late checkout? Would just, I mean, you don't even want a late checkout. You're ju you just want to charm a woman at a counter. I just want to get the late checkout and then leave. I would say any hotel where checkout is at eleven is worse than the Hilbert Hotel or the Hotel California. Because oh. who who puts checkout at eleven? I have never. Well, oh, that's not true. One time, I was about to say I've never stayed at a hotel where the checkout was at eleven, where I couldn't call down to the desk and get it moved to one. But one time, and this is the this is the hyper indignity of it. It this is a, the worst thing that's happened to anyone at a hotel except for Bobby Kennedy. It was a Super 8 motel <laughs> in East St. Louis. And the woman behind the counter was like, no, you can't. It's 11 o'clock checkout. And I was like, come on, come on. She was like, no. And I said, come on. She said, no. I can't believe even with that amazing, convincing argument. Yeah. And come I was on. like, hey, come on. You, you had to escalate. To come on. And she was like, no. I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's a, this is a Super A motel up next to the river. Like, give me a break. You got nothing to do. Nobody's got anywhere to be. That's the hotel that has the least wiggle room. She John. drew the line. Okay, so we can actually even take the Hilbert accommodation problem one step further. Let's say it's not just your bus pulling up. There's a huge music festival. So this is the Hilbert Hotel plus one. <laughs> no, this is Hilbert <laughs> Hotel... To the Hilbert oh, power. Times, like, this is a whole new level infinity. of Hilbertitude. Uh, let's say there's a music festival going on, an infinitely large music festival. Mm -hmm. You know, Coachella, basically. Right. Austin City Limits. It's Austin City Limits, or South by Southwest. That is, South by Southwest is infinitely bad now, but I won't go into that. <laughs> yeah, usually it's just the infinite, uh, infinite discomfort, <laughs> the infinite discomfort of going to a music festival. Uh, so let's say an infinite number of buses pull up each with a, a band as large as yours. Mm -hmm. So an infinite number of buses pull up and each bus has an infinite number of JB horns of horn and string players <laughs> and tour managers. Can the hotel accommodate that? Absolutely. You seem very confident in the, the capaciousness of Hilbert's hotel. Well, so far, like the, the, the number of paradoxes that make, infinite that that like regulate infinity seem to be a much smaller set of paradoxes than the number of paradoxes that are allowed by that infinity? are allowed by infinity right so your rule of thumb is hilbert's hotel can do anything hilbert's hotel can do right room, room service goes forever almost anything but i'm sure there is a paradox that limits the capacity of hilbert's hotel but it is not this one john you can get in an infinite number <laughs> of us so all you need is, so let's say you number every bus and every bus, the seats are numbered. I don't mm -hmm. think that's true of most tour buses, but it was true of my school bus as a kid. Right. You'd, I'd be assigned a seat 68 or 32 or whatever. Right. So let's say every bus is numbered and every seat is on each bus is numbered. You just need a way to pair each of those numbers with a room number in the hotel. Okay. And it's not super hard to do. Like one thing you could do is just first clear out some rooms. Um, 
like, let's take every uh, person in the room and have them move from room number N to room two to the N. Oh, two so to the end. Everybody's now in a power of two. Okay. First guy goes to room two. Second guy goes to room four. Third person. I, I don't know why I'm saying guy. Hope right. Hotel is not a, it's not a YMCA. Well, and this could be, I mean, the future links are listening to this and the word guy means nothing to them. Sure. Maybe oh. it means like a, like a line that goes between a, between a boat and a pier. Exactly. That's the only thing it means. <laughs> They're very nautical in the future. <laughs> Every day is talk like a pirate day. Uh, so the third occupant goes to room eight, the fourth goes to room 16 and so forth. So yeah. now you got a ton of rooms. Every room that's not a power of two oh. is empty. The hotel's practically, practically cleared out. Yeah. So now what you can do. And yet still infinitely large and containing infinite number of people. Right. It's very roomy now. Yeah. Uh, so now think of all the rooms that are free. Every other prime is free. All the powers of three, all the powers of five. So you just take everybody on the first bus and have them move into the powers of three rooms. If you're in seat one, you're in room three, seat two, you're in room nine. Seat three, you're in room 27, 81, and so forth. Right. The next bus does all the powers of five. Uh, you have to do primes because the powers of four will already be taken by the original, some of the original two people, all but, the original two people. But the set of rooms with prime numbered uh, doors is equal to the set of whole numbers. Uh, you mean as terms of its infinite cardinality? In, in yeah, that's exactly right. Infinite cardinality. And isn't that weird? Because we think of primes as something rare, and yet... And yet the primes, uh, the infinite number of primes is the same size infinity as, as all the natural numbers. So where are the paradoxes here that limit the power of infinity? Well, I'm uh, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the Tristram Shandy problem. We'll get to it in a second. Okay. And it's, uh, it requires one more infinity. I see. Okay. Um, the thing about doing the, the, the prime powers, as I've said, is that it actually does not fill every room. Now you've got empty rooms. Because right. there are many numbers that are not just two to the end or three to the end or five to the end. You know, take a number like 15, which is a three and a five. That room will be empty. So that's good. You know, yeah, if the, that's, I'll take that room. If, if people are actually coming to attend the festival and not just the many, many acts. Is it a king bed in room 15? I, also, I would like no feathers, please. Yeah, it's tr the paradox becomes tricky if not all the rooms have the same uh, accoutrement. Oh, sure. Right. You don't want to move down to a queen. Right. Somebody if who's you, in a king does not want two doubles. Yeah, and, and, I'm not moving to end of the power of and two. And if you and the drummer are in two doubles, you do not want to maybe move into a king. Maybe you do. Double up into the king. Maybe you do. I'm not, not in gonna, my band. I'm not going to judge. Um, but there, there are a ton of ways to do this. That's not the only way. Any way to pair up the two numbers will work. There's a cool one I like, which is... Um, interleaving. This one leaves no empty rooms, actually. You take your seat number. Let's say I'm on bus 6,187 mm -hmm. and I'm in seat number 22. Okay. So I take those two numbers, 6187 and 0022. Yeah. And I just alternate them. 6010-8272. Uh -huh. And I've produced an eight-digit room number and I just move into that room. Easy peasy. Right. Everybody wins. Right. I guess you have to figure out how to vacate those rooms, but whatever. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have different definitions of easy peasy, but yeah. I'm, I'm a very can-do kind of a desk clerk. I'm like uh, the Ray Fines in the Grand Budapest Hotel. I like a challenge. Right. I love moving people around in the dead of night. I'm thinking of the Grand Budapest Hotel this entire time. Like that is the, that's my model for this. Oh, really? Because I was picturing the Overlook Hotel and The Shining. Oh, really? It's, it just seems to go forever. You like an efficient hotel. I like an ominous, uh, endless one. I like one that where the set dressing seems to be like a like an Eastern Block hotel that <laughs> went through a great period of decline. You love Central Europe Ruritania. I That's really probably do. your favorite movie, actually, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, the first half of it was, and then it turned into a chase, just like an, a, a, like an hour-long chase scene, and I wasn't into that. Your dream is probably some Prisoner of Zenda scenario where you show up at, you know, some little made-up place, uh, uh, Fredonia or whatever. And yeah. you, t you turn out, it turns out you look just like the deposed prince and they need you to pretend to be him. It's you're, you're, you're so close to, to actual fact. How many times a day do you think about that? I still, I still wait to get tapped by skull and bones every time I walk out of the house and it's not going to happen. I'm not in college. I thought you were going to say walk onto the <laughs> Yale campus, but you, you literally <laughs> think it's going to happen in, in your front yard. They're going to come to you. They might. You never know. The thing is in an infinite in a world of infinite possibility. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com start. So when there's infinite number of buses, um, you know, the problem you might make is just starting on bus one and loading people off of bus one. And of course, the problem with that is there's an infinite number of people in bus one. You will never get to bus two, much less all the other buses. Um, so the key to loading people off the buses, you is... know, in, in music, buses are are oh, way. Right. It's a it's a, a function of a of a recording desk, and so I'm I, I can't stop hearing you talk about. It's, it's also something that more in music. It's also something that more successful bands than yours <laughs> would take the show. I've been on a bus to You've to visit some of my other friends who had a bus. You were kind enough to take me on They Might Be Giants' bus. And I it did. was it was lovely. I did. You had a good time. Thank didn't you, you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, for like fruit basket and all the guys sitting around. It was it was uh eating pizza, cold pizza. It seemed like a good time. It is a good college time. just never ends. Huh? It's a good time. You're just in there with your pals and and then everybody starts snoring and it stops being a good time. So the key to the method of pulling people off the buses is um you kind of make a grid. You know, you pull the first guy off the first bus. Uh, and why then, are we doing it this way? Why does, why is it this complicated? Well, cause otherwise you'll just never get through the first bus. Uh, this is a kind of a, a an important mathematical implication. Oh, the first uh, bus is an infinite number of people. Re yeah. Remember all the buses are infinitely full cause it's your stupid horn section. And stuff. Right, 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 right. So you pull the first guy off the first bus, then the first guy off the first bus and the second guy off the first, second guy off the first bus. Then you take the first guy off the third bus, the second guy off the second bus and the third guy off the first, third guy off the first <laughs> bus. Uh, and so on. And in I this, hope somebody does a supercut of that with like some, like a cool drum beat behind it. So th what you've done is you've guaranteed that every person on every bus is guaranteed to get their turn with a, only a finite number of people before them. Oh, I see. And that's an important finding in considering how you class infinities. We, we now know we're going to get to every person in just a finite number of steps. And that's how a mathematician named Georg Cantor began to approach uh, infinities. That's how he actually proved, in fact, that uh, the positive fractions, P over Q, map one to one with the counting numbers. Essentially, by, by pulling you know, P and Q are the number of your bus and the number of your seat. By pulling people off in that fashion, you can ensure that everybody gets a, a room, that's your counting number, in a finite number of steps. And that proves that they are the same cardinality of infinity. But how is this not a super task? Well, Cantor went on, went on to prove that there is a bigger kind of infinity that you cannot put into those rooms. Um, his proof was actually very simple and elegant, and it's often called diagonalization, diagonal proof. Mm -hmm. And what he was trying to prove was that you could not map all of the real numbers between zero and one. Uh, keep in mind that a real number is every number that doesn't have an imaginary square root of negative one in it. So, right. One half is a real number, but so is 0.33333 forever. So right. is a number that doesn't repeat, like the square root of two. All the numbers between zero and one that you can think of, you know, a decimal and then numbers going forever. He proved that he was trying to see if you could map those onto the, the natural numbers, one, two, three, four, five. And his proof goes like this. Take each real number and try to assign it to a room in the hotel. You know, you've got point, uh, I'll write some random numbers here, point six, three, one, dot, 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 point. 397 dot 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 point 425 dot 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 uh, and each of those has a room right he's going to try to find a number and that goes on forever by the way that's mm -hmm. a, that's a number of all that's an infinite list of all the reals but he's going to try to see hey is there actually a real number that I've missed that doesn't fit in the room that doesn't map to a room and what you do is you make a diagonal it's like playing connect four I won diagonally you take the first digit of the first real number, the second digit of the second real number, the third digit of the third real number, and so on. Right. You get a new, a you, new get, you get a new decimal expansion that goes forever. And then you just say, you know what? I'm going to change all of these. 
and it doesn't matter how you change them. You change the six to a two, you change the nine to a one, you change the five to a zero, you can do whatever you want, but you change all of them. And if you do that, you have produced a new real number that must be different at some point from the place where that diagonal crosses the number you changed. Because you changed every digit, the nth digit of your diagonal is always going to be different than the reals it crossed. Yeah. So you have created a new real number that was nowhere in your original infinite list and is therefore not mapped to one of the rooms in the hotel, not mapped to the counting numbers. So Cantor says, ah, that's a contradiction. That means that there are, I can produce a real number that did not, was not in my original mapping to the counting number. So the, the set of, in, the infinite set of numbers, the infinitely big set of numbers, of real numbers between zero and one, is somehow a larger infinity than the also infinite natural numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on. And that's where people start to freak out a little. I'm freaking out a little bit. This feels, that, that, at that moment, it feels a little bit above my pay grade because I've, I'm accustomed to thinking of, uh, of infinities as always being el elastic enough to include new infinities. And I'm having a hard time understanding how going, uh, how creating a number out of the diagonals of these other numbers creates a new infinity that you cannot just create a corresponding new infinity in whatever set you're trying to map one-to-one -one against. It's like the hotel. You have to imagine that the, it's already there. All the rooms are there. All the rooms are full. So the mapping exists. Every, uh, every counting number, every natural number has its real number. Right. And yet, guess what? I just made a new one. So it's completely counterintuitive. We think that the infinities should fit everything. And, and Cantor is saying, no, there are different orders, different levels, different cardinalities of infinity. And because math has already used all the Roman and Greek letters that it can think of, it has to go to kind of our, our backup alphabet, our C alphabet, which is Hebrew. Are you going to, are you going to just come right out and say that Hebrew is our C alphabet? Well, if not, if you're a Hebrew speaker, it's what's your, our, it's your a, a alphabet. What's the A alphabet? Latin? Yeah, the Latin alphabet. How do the Chinese feel about that? Their alphabet's huge. Yeah. It's not even an alphabet, right? It's <laughs> no, just, I guess it's not. It's pictograms. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, if you're going to send letters, send them to Ken. Today, you're right. It would probably be the Chinese alphabet. But in, in, you know, Western Europe at the turn of the century, you know, what is the other great ancient language that's still in use? We got Latin, we got Greek. What's the other alphabet? I guess, right. Hebrew. I guess it's Hebrew. Could have done Arabic, but yeah, Hebrew. Right. Um, then as now, people were more racist against Arabs than Jews. Mm. I don't know if that's true. Depends. It's a wash. Yeah. Times have changed. Depends on the people. So he used Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, to signify the cardinality of infinite sets. And the smallest infinity, if there is such a thing, is the Hilbert one we were talking about, the number of rooms. Whether it's, you know, it seems like the number of even natural numbers should be half the size of all the natural numbers, but it's not. Those are both the same lowest infinity, and he called that Aleph null. Then uh, he's discovered the reals between zero and one are a larger order of infinity. So that's Aleph one and so forth. How, so, how was this received by all the other infinity-obsessed uh, science and math people? Uh, opinion was split. Some people thought he was just ruining math with this terrible counterintuitive view of... of uh, of how sets must work. Henri Poincaré, uh, after seeing Contour's work, famously said, set theory is a disease. So he's using the words of, uh, you know, ethnic cleansing to get rid of set theory. <laughs> but, but isn't, I mean, I think of math as being descriptive, right? It's, these are, these are real things. You can't have, you can't have bad math. I mean, you can have incorrect math, but you can't have math that's like morally bad. Sure, you, you think of math as something that should describe the universe, right? It's something with This tree something is 12 real. feet tall. These lines, these lines meet at an eight degree angle. I can measure these. Right. Even the theoretical stuff is, is talking about something that is hard for us to understand, but it is tangible is, is, is how I imagine math working in a, working in the universe. It's a, it's a, it's a descriptive language, right? And that's only part of math. I mean, remember from the entry on the Tesseract, we can visualize and perform mathematical operations on five dimensional, four dimensional or five-dimensional objects that our brains just cannot picture. Right. Um, but, but, but I can imagine, just as I can imagine an infinite number of... Monkeys? An infinite number of monkeys at an infinite number of typewriters, I can imagine a world that I cannot imagine. 
But it's hard. Say left not. It's hard for me to understand. I guess math that could be um, degenerate. Well, this isn't just hand waving. I mean, it's not degenerate in the sense that Hitler thought art was degenerate. And there's the Hitler reference. Thank you. Um, it actually infinite sets are kind of foundational to a lot of pretty important math today. I mean, without uh, the infinities in real analysis, you wouldn't have calculus. Without the infinities in measure theory, you wouldn't have probability for quantum mechanics to work. In quantum mechanics, there's a, a construct called a Hilbert space, which is actually a space with a, that's both infinite in size and in number of dimensions. And that's a, that's a way of, of getting quantum theory to work on paper. Um, so there are practicalities to this. But you're right. Does it describe the universe? I mean, I guess this gets down to a pretty essential question, which is, is the universe finite or infinite? Right. Well, and like, is math, um, is math just an elaborate prank on, on the part of the cosmic architect who really has just been working with colored blocks the whole time that are super measurable and understandable, but somehow created a language which, which is playful and which, has Hebrew in it, which allows for all of this to happen, which is internally consistent or logically consistent, but actually not descriptive of anything. Is this just a hamster on a gerbil? Yeah, or are wheel? we, or are we just playing or games like, like uh, you know, Alex Jones seeing a connection between a pizza parlor and child molesters? Because you can always build up an internally consistent system, right? It, as, just, it just might be crazy as we work or as we get closer and closer to string theory and and half the mathematical community is split are we pushing out on the on the edges of where we're starting to, we'll be able to see like oh this is just a this is internally consistent but not descriptive or i prefer to think that we are smarter than our seven senses that our uh, imaginative capacity or our calculative capacity is is an uh an eighth sense or a sixth sense. I don't know how we have five senses. Let's uh, call it an eighth sense just because you're, you're leaving room for six and seven. In well, case. and you know, there's umami in there. Like it's hard to, to say, but I bet you eight senses are the border, but that we are we'll able, just, we'll just move all the senses up one or double them if we need to add senses. Right. Right. Uh, an infinite number of senses and an infinite number of buses pull up to an infinite number of hotels. But if, uh, but, but I prefer to think that we are perceiving dimensions that we cannot, we, we can calculate beyond what we can perceive. What we can perceive or prove. But that it is descriptive or it is, these are building blocks of actual sort of structures, f physical realities, but, but an infinite, you know, an infinite number plus an infinite number is being equal to just the set of numbers that are prime, it's hard to imagine that that... And the idea that there's some other infinity that kind of feels the same, but actually is provably not. I right. mean, yeah, all of this is so counterintuitive, but, um, but Hilbert himself disagreed with, with Poincaré's disapproval of set theory. Uh, when he read Count Cantor's proof about cardinalities of infinity, he said, he was delighted. He said, no one shall expel us from the paradise that Cantor has created. So, you know, he saw... Math heaven. Yeah, new gardens to play in. Uh, and Gardens of Babylon. <laughs> sinful, infinite gardens. Think of all the terrible things you could do in, in Hilbert's hotel. Uh, but, you know, but that's it. You know, this is all around kind of the turn of the 20th century when science appears to be limiting things. You know, like we think the universe is full of amazing undiscovered quantities. And then Mendeleev is like, no, nah, there's like 60 or 80 things. And everybody's built from them. <laughs> And it basically, it's all just how many protons and neutrons you have. There's, there's really like three things, basically, you know. So, you know, wonder was getting sapped out of field after field. Everything was getting explored. All the white spaces on the map were gone. Right. And suddenly, here's Cantor being like, no, there's infinite gardens to play in. Come come dance with me. So, you know, what, what a beautiful time for science. Well, I guess. That sounds a little bit like the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic sounds a little bit like jazz music to me. And you're against you're against the infinite possibilities of jazz. You like you like a good a good Bach fugue, a, a nice finite mathematical fugue. He played all the notes once in every pattern, and we're out. I wanted to resolve with a you know with like a with a blue note. I don't want you to just sit and like hammer on the diminished nine for eternity. That's the thing about a jazz 
riff or a fist jam. It's infinite. It doesn't end. There are no wrong notes. And that concludes the Hilbert Hotel. Entry 587.LK0207. Certificate number 44261 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, you must be rolling in the aisles at our pathetic attempts to understand what to you is surely the basic grammar of your futureling gleep glop language. It's kindergarten math to them. But for us, we are still mud bugs digging around in our primordial soup, trying to evolve even a sixth sense, let alone an eighth. We're doing a little better than the mud bugs. You, you have a toaster, apparently. We, spelled, we smelled burnt toast earlier. Well, I know, but who knows who was manning that toaster? How many people are in my bunker right now? What I'm saying is we've done pretty well for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I, sp- I suppose. Although, you know, if you look at a city and you think of it as like these buildings being fairly accomplished, but then you kind of change your, you squint your eyes a little bit and realize that our tallest skyscraper is a pretty pathetic attempt to build a, build a hive that, that resists gravity. It's not the Tower of Babel. There's an infinite skyscraper that could reach heaven. There's an awful lot of sky between the top of a skyscraper and the top of the sky. And we're hardly scraping it. We're like Randy in the Built to Spill. We are. We're just hitting it. Barely scraping it every thousand years with our little feathery buildings. Just hitting the bottom of the sky every every little bit. So no, I'm not I'm not too impressed with our accomplishments. And certainly futurelings are probably going to Well, wait a minute. For them to be interested in our show beyond listening to it just archaeologically, but really taking something away, that it may be that, that we are. We have, a, we have arrived at like some, you know, at the membrane, let's say. Here or, we are, smarter than, than our corporeal selves might allow. And if they are actually at the bottom of some precipitous cultural decline, uh, then they're right. just going to think we're rubbing it in their faces that we have infinite sets and toasters. Yeah, booyah, we have toasters. And they're like, oh, toasters. All we have is this equipment to listen to these old podcasts. I just have to breathe hard on this piece of bread and hope that my hot breath (laughs) slightly singes the outside. My hot, desperate breath. Uh, Well, in the unlikely event that you would like to communicate with us, and uh, recently I was communicated uh, with, or we were, we were uh, communicated unto by someone who was interested in explaining to us all the paradoxes of of describing uh, the people in our own time. Yeah, it seemed are, like he was confused by the idea that um, we're speaking to future listeners, and yet uh, there is also a, a group of people in our own time called describing Futurelings. Describing themselves as Futurelings, and he and wanted He's, he's absolutely right. That's a terrible appropriation of, right. of a future culture that you right. should avoid. He wanted the, our, our current uh, group of listeners to be called Presentlings, but to me, that just opened up an infinite number of paradoxes. But if you are someone in any time or temporal reality, any space in infinite time, which is a flat circle, as we know. You could be in a Hilbert space. You could be in the distant, distant past, because time is an illusion. In all of that, there will always be social media. Regardless of whether we all quit Twitter now, Twitter will exist forever, infinitely in all directions. I mean, it's probably become sentient at this point. It's just keeping a low profile. (sighs) That was the day that Twitter became... Self-aware. That's right. Uh, But you can contact us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Omnibus Project. And also you can read Ken's hilarious tweets, at Ken Jennings. And you can read my bitter, grouchy, disaffected tweets. If you want to see pictures of John cleaning his house. Yep. At John Roderick. Also, I'm on Instagram where where life is still slightly fun. If you want to see the, the photo of the box of little boxes. Ken's going to take a picture of the box of little boxes, I'm betting. Or maybe the box that says more little boxes. I want the little boxes to have even littler boxes inside them. Some do, some do. Like the infinite number of buses with infinite number of seats. Some do, but we get down into this. It's not like a Russian nesting doll. Like eventually there is a smallest box. There's actually a thing. Um, You can email us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. 
And uh, please go and join our Facebook group, which is called the Omnibus Futurelings on Facebook. You could even send us letters. Oh, oh yeah. Tell us more about that. If you live in physical space, uh, you can write to the Omnibus Project at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Send us all your correspondence and artifacts, please. John has an infinite number of little boxes to put them in. I do. Futurelings, we speak to you from your distant past, breathing at you from the dust. We have no idea how long our civilization is going to survive. I saw recently 40,000 bees swarmed a hot dog stand in Times Square. Did you see this? 40,000 bees? Yeah. Did you, you knew that bees, some bees, wasps are carnivorous. They are. Yeah. At the end of summer, they all start, you know, if you try to have a cookout, they all start swarming around your burgers. One time uh, we were driving across like uh, the great plains of Canada and uh, our van was just killing bugs by the tens of thousands. Like the whole front of the van was just this carnage, this this uh, showa of bugs. And uh, we stopped at a truck stop and the van was swarmed by bees come to eat the dead bodies of the other bugs we'd killed. It's the, to me, the circle of life is so beautiful. Yeah, that really was lovely. So we were in the gas station looking out at our at the front of our uh, van, which looked like one of those beekeepers that had a beard of bees. We were like, <laughs> how are we going to get back into the van? We have places to go. And we had to run out there and jump in the van. And then the van, like all the bees that got into the van were, were in, in there. The van. And we had to like one by one get them out. It was it was, uh, it was heavy. What I'm saying is the end times are certainly here. That felt if there's, like. If there's 40,000 bees swarming a hot dog stand in Times Square, and they're probably all dressed as Elmo and uh, Darth Vader, you know? The naked cow bee. <laughs> so what I'm saying is time is certainly short. John and I would dearly love to believe that this catastrophe will hold off. Will uh, will will uh, withhold its wrath for a short season? Not me. I'm starting to be like a a new broom sweeps clean. You're ready to go. Yeah. You're ready to hop in a van full of bees and just let them let the wasps rip the flesh from your bones. Um, and if that's true, this recording will certainly be our final word, uh, unless I did not get in the van, in which case I guess I can just keep doing the show myself. <laughs> but if providence allows, we hope both to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. Mm-hmm.